To the Bulwark Goes to Hollywood. I am Sonny Bunch, culture editor at the Bulwark. I am pleased to be joined today by Frank Pilata. Uh, he is a media reporter for CNN. He was previously an entertainment reporter at Business Insider, as well as a writer for CNN Entertainment's marquee blog. And I wanted to have him on today because uh, he's one of my favorite entertainment uh, business writers, the business of entertainment. Always a tricky subject. Lots of people can jabber on about what they like in the movies or TV shows or whatever, but the business is always a little bit tricky. And we are in a very weird business moment. I'm not going to ask you, Frank, to uh, discuss the GameStop AMC stock market speculation that is happening right now, because by the time this podcast is over and we're, we get it uploaded, it could be worth millions uh, millions of dollars a share. Nobody knows. Plus, the, <laughs> only, the only way that I truly understand uh, Wall Street and how this all works is either by watching uh, the last 20 minutes of Trading Places. That's pretty much the only way <laughs> I understand how any of this works. I, I, I'll be honest with you. This is it's pretty incredible to see what's happening, but like you said, it's moving way too fast to kind of actually talk about it right <laughs> yeah. now. It's it's weird. Uh, so, but 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 there is there is a lot of uh, business news, and especially in the streaming world. I mean, there there was a ton of stuff that happened uh, this week and last week, and that's that's kind of what I wanted to focus on here. I mean. Thing number one, I've I've got a I've got an actual list here. I, I often don't have notes for this show, but I, I have an actual list this time. Uh, uh, thing number one that jumped out at me was Peacock signing a deal with the WWE Network to make uh, WWE exclusive on uh, the Peacock NBC Universal streaming service. What 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 does that mean for Peacock first of all, and also for WWE? Because the way I read this is it's it's the World Wrestling Entertainment. Uh, throwing in the towel on the idea of having their own streaming service and deciding to join forces with somebody bigger than themselves. I think that's a part of it. I think that's a big part of it. But the way I look at this is, so you have what we call the streaming wars. I've always called them more of like a streaming Olympics because in a war, someone has to like be destroyed. Um, and I don't think that's going to happen. Some of the companies might not make it, but I think for the most part, most of these companies will find their own little niche. Um, the way I look at Peacock is... Okay, so you have Netflix. Netflix is the king of streaming. Disney is very, very close to them as second place. But Netflix has said that one area they have no plans on going into is live sports. So if you're Peacock and you're saying to yourself, how can I find an audience? How can I find subscribers that, you know, maybe don't want to go to Netflix? How about I offer something that NBC Universal has a ton of, which is live sports. So this news followed last week's news of the cable channel NBC Sports Network mm -hmm. shuttering by the end of the year. And that announcement also had plenty of saying that, you know, a lot of the sports that we have on this network is going to go to the USA Network, where WWE actually is already for at least Raw. Right. Um, and now, you know, that's going to go to Peacock too, which already has Premier League. It was supposed to open. It was supposed to launch with this year's Olympics, which obviously got delayed. So NBC is not afraid to really uh, stock Peacock with a ton of sports. And I think that is basically saying uh, to consumers, hey, listen, everybody likes streaming, but most of these streaming networks, most of these streaming, I call them networks, but they're actually services. Uh, they feel like networks. Uh, they don't have sports. We have sports. And yes, you know, it's not the NFL yet. It's not MLB. It's not NBA. But WWE is a huge, huge sport 
that is beloved and has a really big loyal audience. For example, I mean, you know, Monday Night Raw is the number one show on the USA Network. Mm-hmm. SmackDown on Friday is one of the highly rated shows on Fox. So to have the WWE come over and to shut down the uh, WWE Network kind of kills two birds with one stone. It, 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 for WWE, they get to make a ton of money reportedly the uh, Wall Street Journal said about a billion dollars this deal was for for about 5 years and for NBC they get to get this great product on their service pretty much exclusively and if you're a WWE fan if you're a fan of Roman Reigns Sasha Banks you kind of have to sign up for Peacock now if you want to watch the pay-per-view events which I think is really kind of cool think about I remember when I was a kid I had to pay like $30 right. to watch King of the Ring and now right. it's like oh cool I pay Four ninety nine with ads to watch WrestleMania. Yeah. It's like, yeah, why but, not? I mean, but it's interesting though because that that gambit doesn't seem to have worked for the WWE, right? I mean, they they their whole their whole idea with the, the WWE network was we're going to take the thing that you usually paid thirty dollars for once a month, or you know, if you only got the big four, you know, WrestleMania, SummerSlam, Survivor yeah. Series, uh, what's that, Royal Rumble, whatever. Like, if you only if you if you if you sign up for the year, you basically cover. Uh, the cost of one pay per view, and and they and they just weren't able to to really make that work. And I'm I was always I was kind of surprised by that because, like you say, the the WWE has a very loyal and strong fan base. Um, but it but it but I guess moving it to NBC gives or moving it to Peacock gives gives people more reason to sign up. A hundred percent. Look at it this way: I always see streaming in two different uh, forms. You either have full on streaming for everybody. These are your Netflix, Disney Plus, HBO Max, Peacock. And then you have these little niche services where it's like, all right, are you a horror fan? Well, uh, why don't you pay $8 or however much it is for Shudder, which is just purely for horror fans. Um, You know, if you liked boxing, DAZN was that for a very long time for a lot of people. WWE is a niche product. It is obviously an important and popular sport uh, or sport entertainment, however you want to say it. (laughs) But I mean... If you're Peacock, you're saying to yourself, if I can get this product that is already being telecast on one of our networks, the USA Network, and we already have a relationship with them, I'm going to get Peacock for The Office and Universal Movies and things like that. But am I going to say no now to WrestleMania? No. If anything, mm-hmm. now Peacock, for me, someone who's already signed up for it, has now be- has now moved up. And now I go to myself and say, well, I don't want to get rid of this now. Because now not only does it have The Office and have these Universal movies, it has WrestleMania. It has Premier League Soccer. And the thing that's different about Peacock comparatively to the rest of the streaming world, it's mostly free. It, it, it's, 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 when it comes with ads, it's free. And that's much different comparatively. That's another thing Netflix said they'll never get mm-hmm. into is ads. So it's the closest I feel like to actually copying television, which I think is where streaming might end up anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's interesting. Uh, we we have had such a move away from the subscriber model. I mean, both in both in the world of TV, frankly, and in the world of media and in the world of newspapers and, you know, websites and stuff. We're moving towards this subscription model. Uh, do you think that uh, do you do you think that the NBC push into live sports is a play at the kind of uh, ABC, Disney, Hulu access? Because, I mean, they've got, you know. ESPN Plus, right, is a is is a thing over there. But ESPN Plus, I like I couldn't tell you a single thing that's on it, and I'm pretty sure I subscribe to it. I don't know. I sub- I subscribe to just about everything. It's it's hard to it's hard to keep track. Yeah, if you look at ESPN Plus, ESPN Plus has had kind of a little bit of a trouble figuring out what it is. 
I mean, if you want to watch 30 for 30 documentaries, it's a great place for that. But I can't name one sport on it as well. Right. And, you know, great example, like I have a lot of UFC fans. I don't I don't watch UFC, but I mm-hmm. believe that UFC was a part of ESPN Plus. That's a big mm-hmm. deal for them. So it, it depends. I mean, you're unless you're going to get one of the big four sports, which is NBA, MLB, M, uh, NFL, and to a certain extent, NHL, which I assume will be more part of Peacock as well, since that is through the NBC Sportsnet. Uh, you're going to have to just get these people by l- like a niche sports product. And I can't think of a bigger one than the WWE. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this this kind of the 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 move of the WWE over to NBC raises another question of like how you get how you get those uh, WWE network subscribers into the uh, Peacock ecosystem, which is trickier than it than it sounds. I mean, the, this this brings me to the second note on my my sheet here, which is that HBO Max is very excited that they've doubled the number of activations on on the service uh, after the the premiere of Wonder Woman 1984. You know, HBO Max uh, for for I know. Most of you will know this because you listen to the podcast, right? But uh, HBO Max has had some issues with with branding and trying to get people over from HBO proper uh, or HBO Now or HBO Go or whatever they were using to the the, the one stop shop of HBO Max. Um, and and they they have they have done a better job of it in the last quarter with the the release of Wonder Woman 1984. Uh, the activations are up to 17.2 million uh, according to Variety, um, and they uh, the the total number of HBO subscribers is up to 41.5 million. Um, uh, but it's it's a tricky thing, right? Trying to get people to understand what service they actually need to sign up for to take advantage of everything. Yeah, I mean, uh, John Stanky, who is the CEO of AT&T, which I should just say is also the parent company of CNN, so my boss. Um, so full I'll disclosure. Be, full disclosure. Um, so the way I look at that is he once described it as an IQ test, you know, that anyone who has HBO proper you you get HBO, but everything else, Warner Brothers, you know, Studio Ghibli, uh, TMS, TCM, all this other stuff. Why wouldn't you go over? It's an IQ test. And I think that now we've seen that a lot of people have <laughs> failed the IQ test. And it's not necessarily the fault of even uh, these people. It, 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 it could be also that H- there's a lot of HBOs and it's had a rollout where it's been even a little bit confusing, even, you know, uh, how, what HBO do I have? Wait a second, HBO Max, don't I have HBO? Like HBO Now, I have HBO Go, I have H... And that is something that Warner Media is going to have to work on and they have worked on and it has gotten better about being able to really uh, demystify all of this and just mm-hmm. be like, listen, HBO Max is what you want because it's exactly what you have now plus more stuff. And the other thing about HBO Max that I think you're, that they're going to have to figure out, and I think this is a question for all of streaming, is what is the price point here? What is the price point? Because if you're saying to somebody who's already paying $15 for HBO, it's free to get more stuff. That makes sense. But if right. you're talking to someone who doesn't have HBO and you're looking at $15, my argument has always been that Disney... Yes, Disney Plus became Disney Plus with its nearly 90 million subscribers in a year. A huge success story. Pretty much one of the only success stories for Disney Mm -hmm. last year. It became a behemoth, not just because it had Marvel and The Mandalorian and all those Disney animated films. It was all of those things plus a price point of $7.99. And I think that is something that we all have to kind of figure out. And it's hard to figure that out because we don't know yet 
what the price point is. I think we're getting close. I mean, Netflix is at almost, you know, I, I do the 4K Netflix, which is about $17. Mm-hmm. If that goes up anymore, I'm, I, someone who enjoys Netflix and enjoys the movies they have, is going to really ask myself, is this still worth it? And that is what everyone in the streaming world is going to have to ask and also be able to properly market whatever they are over. So for Peacock, it's about being very simple. Listen, you like live sports? We have it. Do you like The Office? We have it. Oh, by the way, do you like not paying anything? Well, okay, you can sign up for us and not pay anything. You'll have to watch a ton of ads. But if you want to watch a little bit of ads, we have a tier up. And if you want to watch no ads, we have a tier above that. So it's just about... It's a confusing time, and cable went through this as well. I mean, when cable first came out, no one knew what the hell it was. So it'll take time, but that is the price and demystifying what this is and why you need it are the two big challenges for every streamer, HBO Max or not. Yeah, I am I am very curious to see how the ad-supported model for uh, Peacock goes because I am uh, the sort of person who, like— I now get kind of itchy whenever I have whenever I encounter ads. I'm like, why why can't I continue watching the thing I want to watch? Um, it's it's it, it's very weird and very different uh, uh, now than it was even you know four or five years ago. Um, so I I would be I would be very curious to see how many people sign up for the premium and what the what the actual ad sales look like. I mean, this is a real issue with streaming, right? Is that we have no idea who was watching what for how long and that makes it impossible to actually sell ads on these things yeah that that's the major problem the major problem is not that even when viewership is given out it still doesn't tell the whole story i mean netflix will say you know one of their movies was watched by 75 million households or whatever but that's two minutes that's two minutes of an entire thing nielsen has been working harder lately on trying to uh, have more streaming uh, metrics put together, but that's in its infancy. So mm-hmm. I'm like you too. Like I, I watched the uh, Saints-Bears game a couple weeks ago on Nickelodeon. I thought it was mm-hmm. the coolest thing. And the whole point of it was to bring in a younger generation to the NFL. And I kept watching and saying, the, the reason this isn't going to work is because if the younger generation is going to watch this and go, what the hell is this thing in between the plays where they try to sell me something? I don't know what that is. So we're building a generation to not like commercials. I mean, I grew up on commercials. You did too. We're of an older generation. Sure. Um, But the point I try to make here is that at a certain point as well, we're going to have so many streaming services. We're kind of already at that saturation point where people are going to go, I really like The Office and it's not on Netflix anymore and it's not on anything else anymore. I, I will sit through ads to watch The Office. I will sit through ads to watch Friends because, you know, HBO Max mm-hmm. will do uh, an AVOD service soon. So we'll get to a point where if there's just so many services, some of them will be like Netflix and Disney Plus where you'll never have to watch an ad, but the price is right. Mm-hmm. And then to fill in the coffers of the other little things you want, that's where I think having an ad tier will come in handy. Yeah. Uh, it, all right. So, so Modern Family is coming to Peacock and Hulu, mm-hmm. um, which is very unusual. You know, we 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 hear about these billion dollar deals for Friends, for The Office, because that is what people were signing up for uh, for Netflix. I mean, like, like if you look at the actual uh, the Nielsen's numbers on the minutes of TV watched, you know, the top things are always like The Office or Friends or CSI or, you know, like it's it it really is like watching network TV almost. Um, uh, But but with Modern Family coming to uh, coming to two streamers at the same time, I wonder if we're entering a slightly different model that's more like the old syndication model. 
and and what in in and if that will be better for the shows themselves or uh or for audiences too i mean i like i i am I, as you say a little older I, I remember being able to watch uh you know uh seinfeld on a couple different networks at the same time right it was on tbs and and fox 5 uh, you know in dc at at the same time um i i feel like that is that is better both for shows and for consumers, or am I wrong? I don't think you're wrong. I think everything that is old is going to be new again. That is my belief. It's it's kind of funny to think about. Everyone always talks about, oh my God, the evolution of TV, the evolution of Hollywood. It's just, it's bundling to unbundle to rebundle again. <laughs> That's what it is. And yeah. I, I look at this and I, I look at the, the modern family thing and, and it, it makes sense to me in two ways. The first way is I'm a divorce kid, so basically they just have joint custody of Modern Family, you know. I can watch uh, Modern Family on Peacock on the weekends and on uh, holidays, uh, you know, uh, as a joke. But the other way that it makes sense to me is that every streamer and every studio and every entertainment company has had to ask themselves lately, do we want to be an exclusive place where you can only get the content that you want from us, or do we want to be arms dealers of licensing? And you look at someone like Viacom CBS, they've kind of gone the ladder where they are like, we're going to sell our products to a bunch of different streaming services and make a ton of money that way. But now with Paramount Plus coming out, maybe they'll be a little bit more exclusive. I think this is the beginning of potentially the uh, kind of hedging your bet instead of just uh, look, think of it. Think of Hollywood as kind of a roulette table because all of this is just gambling at the end of the day. It's just high stakes gambling. Mm. Most of the time it's red or black. But I think now studios and companies are starting to realize maybe it's better if we spread our chips around. So if you're who, if you're like Modern Family is a 20th uh, century, used to be Fox, but now Studios Production, which is owned, 20th century studios is owned by Disney. So I, I, I wouldn't be shocked if we start seeing more of like, okay, something like Star Wars, something like The Office. That is going to be all me. You're not going to get that anywhere else. You got to come here for that. You got to come here mm -hmm. for Marvel. That stuff is just epically popular. I have Marvel studio movies on in the background when I'm working sometimes. They're just, they're very comforting. But something like Modern Family is incredibly popular, but is, is it popular as, say, Seinfeld or popular as Friends? I don't right. know. I don't think so. So if you can kind of hedge your bet there and share it and make money both ways, why not? Yeah. I And I, I like, Beyond the business of it, I do think there is a a, uh, a a a big advantage for for these shows that are heading into syndication to be as available as possible. Like I I, I wrote a longish piece a couple years back about how the lack of syndication essentially uh, neuters the ability of TV to become canonical in a way, right? Like if you weren't watching the same Simpsons episode 10 times growing up, you know, those quotes don't become part of the Frank common lingua. Mm -hmm. You don't, you don't, uh, you don't, you don't get them everywhere. So if, if you, if you can take a show and have it in multiple places where people don't have to sign up for the service, I think it's better for the shows, um, yes. as, as just cultural properties. A hundred percent. Think of the office, the office for people who remember was a show that was nearly canceled multiple times by NBC. Mm -hmm. It was not that popular. I mean, I, I believe it brought in like five to maybe 10 million yeah. viewers when people were really watching yeah. TV. Which which would be a huge hit today, of course. Oh my God, <laughs> it would be the biggest thing on television. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it goes on Netflix. It becomes this zenith. Like, I, 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 it's incredible. 
Same yeah. thing with Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad was a right. great show, but it was a niche show. It goes to it goes to Netflix. Netflix puts it on. Everyone sees it. It becomes this big deal and has a huge last season. Yeah. So it there is something to be said about the you know something like Star Wars is not going to really get more popular than it is now. Marvel's not going to probably get more popular than it already is. So yeah. being exclusive is great there. But something like Modern Family. Spread it around. Spread yeah. it around. It could become even bigger now because of Peacock. Who knows? Right. And and Netflix, of course, is the the big the big kid on the block. It's the uh, it is the the massive service. You know, two hundred some million subscribers. Uh, it, it's it's promising to put out a movie a week this year. You know, all all the TV shows. And it finally broke even on cash flow, mm-hmm. which is uh, which is a big deal. But I'm I'm curious to get your take on how sustainable that is because one of the reasons it broke even. Uh, was because production shut down. I mean, when, once they get back to producing things, are they going to be able to maintain that that sort of equilibrium? My job lately as an entertainment business reporter has been half teacher, half fortune teller. Mm-hmm. Because most of the time, you don't know what is going on and the people who say they know what's going on are usually stupid. And then you have to also be a fortune teller and predict what might happen next. I look at Netflix and I say, all right, on one end, this is great news for them. Of all the Netflix bears out there who were kind of like weren't really sold on netflix as this huge huge thing their big thing was well what about the what about the debt what about the content spending what about the cash flow that has seemingly taken a turn that's been good but at the same time we're still in the middle of a pandemic we're still seeing productions start and go we're, we're seeing movies get delayed we're seeing people I, I mean i don't leave my house much you know it's the middle of winter but i don't really go out much what is going to happen when we get to the end of this pandemic whenever that may be and, and we vaccinations at critical mass and restaurants are open and movies are open and you can travel across the country or do whatever the hell you want are people going to take that disposable income they've been putting into streaming even putting into netflix and say you know what i'm going to take that I'm spending on Netflix and go see a movie, not because I can't see it on Netflix or see it on HBO Max or Disney Plus. It's because I want to get out of my house. I've been in my house Mm -hmm. for two years. So to answer your question, I'm waiting. I think it's it's a good Mm -hmm. move in the right direction. But at the same time, we just don't know enough yet. And in this media beat, you see a lot of people just jump to conclusions. They want to be the first person to say, this is what's Mm -hmm. happening. This is where it's going. This is why... People like me and you have heard all year long, oh, well, movie theaters are dead. I've heard movie theaters are dead 20 times in the last six months. Movie theaters are still alive. AMC just got a ton of funding. They might be able to make it through the year and people might come back to it in droves. We just don't know. So with that, it's going to take some time to figure it out. I think it's they're moving in the right direction. It definitely makes me more bullish on Netflix. I've been always kind of like watching them very closely. Um... But I would say it's still too early to tell. And that's not just the case for them. It's the case for everybody. Yeah. And I do I, I do think that I, I wonder, uh, I, don't, I don't think this, but I wonder if, if Netflix isn't able to come up with the sort of killer content uh, that, that, you know, the, the killer app, so to speak, but for content. Um, uh, if they don't end up losing some of some of that subscriber base, I mean, I you know, the The Witcher is very popular, Stranger Things is very popular, et cetera, et cetera. But they 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 don't have the Star Wars, they don't have the the MCU. 
Um, you know, they don't have the Batman series uh, over at over at Warner Brothers or 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 Harry Potter or whatever. I mean, it 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 is. It, it's tricky for them. Yeah, it's definitely a problem, and it's a major problem. And no one, if you're not talking about that, I don't think you're paying close enough attention. I mean, think of it this way: the biggest thing that they've probably ever done was by pure accident, and that is Stranger Things. Mm-hmm. Stranger Things came in at zero. It came in cold. No one even knew what it was. It was it was actually a a word of mouth hit. It was mm-hmm. actually something like that. Yeah. But let's be honest: what is Stranger Things? It's a Stephen King, Steven Spielberg movie. It, it, right. it, it, that's what it is. I, I, you know, I once took someone to go see E.T. who had never seen it before. And she was like, this is Stranger Things. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, it is. So I, I, I know, like, I, I have nothing against Netflix. I think they're a great company. But at the same time, like, do you really remember a lot of the things they made? I mean, yeah. do you re- like, was Mank really something that people were still clamoring for a week later remember yeah. bird box i don't think a lot of people do bird and box. that was the biggest thing ever <laughs> so the problem for them is going to be like you know the problem with netflix is that netflix is just going to creators right now and being like hey martin scorsese uh that movie you wanted to make a paramount that paramount said was too expensive and too long we'll make it here hey noah bumbach do you like that marriage stories movie you wanted to make Two hours and 30, two hours, 15 minutes of, you know, Scarlett Johansson and Adam Driver yelling at each other. Maybe that doesn't get sold elsewhere, but we'll take it. You know, David Fincher, your dad's screenplay, you know, that you've been trying to get on screen for years. At a certain point, the reason that studios have been so successful is because the people who were, you know, going all the way back to the golden age of Hollywood, you had studio heads who actually liked going to the movies and watching the movies. And I think Netflix does have that in Ted, Ted Sarandos. Mm-hmm. I think he is somebody who enjoys entertainment. But I also think Netflix is at that point where they're still trying to like almost be like, come here, we'll let you do what we want, uh, let you do what you want. But at a certain point, you're going to have to see some pushback, some notes, you know, you're going to yeah. have to see some things change because it's just not sticking. This stuff isn't really sticking. And the problem is you could say, oh, well, what about all the people watching it? We, one, don't know if that's the true number of how many people actually watched it or watched it fully. Mm-hmm. And the other thing, too, is like I used to call a lot of their movies background blockbusters. They're literally movies you just have in the background when you're answering emails or uh, yeah. you know, ta- uh, making dinner. It, it, they don't have the cultural connection. Sometimes they do, you know, you'll have your kissing booths, your uh, to all the boys I loved before, to your stranger things. Right. But eventually those things end. I mean, to all the boys loved before, like the third movie's coming out. Is there anybody who's really talking about it? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, it's uh, this is something I've talked about with my my friends, uh, Alyssa Rosenberg and Peter Suderman on another podcast. Just the 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 structure of Netflix is such that they have a lot of people who can say yes, uh, and they don't have a, a ton of people who say no. Uh, and they have and as far as I can tell, there's there the the notes process is pretty limited. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and and say what you will about the Hollywood studios and, you know, aiming for the lowest common denominator, whatever. There is there is something to be said for the collaborative nature of filmmaking, just getting things a little bit tighter, a little bit neater. I watched The White Tiger this weekend. And what I felt at the end of it was, God, this really could have been like 15 minutes shorter. Yep. And if it had been 15 minutes shorter, if it had been a little more propulsive and a little more energetic, it would have been something I would have been like, people should definitely watch this. As it was, I was like, eh, yeah, it's fine. I mean, I, I thought The Irishman was one of my favorite movies of 2019. It was. And I remember leaving that movie after the near three and a half hours it ran. 
And I remember telling someone, they were like, so how is it? And I'm like, it's a good Martin Scorsese movie, but if they cut 90 minutes from it, 90, which is like a, a movie for some other yeah. things, it would have been a masterwork. It would have been a, yeah. like a Goodfellas level masterwork. Yeah. It was just too long. And so that's the problem Netflix runs into. Yeah, I'm gonna disagree with slightly there, but we're gonna move on because this is not a this is not a, a well, aesthetics uh, podcast. You're no, you're, you're wrong. wrong. You're wrong. Okay. All right. The the, the last thing here I have on my notes um, is uh, uh, Disney Plus is going back to the uh, premiere tier, premiere access well for their new animated film, uh, their forthcoming animated film, uh, Raya or Ray, Raya Raya and the Last Dragon. Yep. Um, and I I I'm I was. Kind of curious to see this because I thought they might have given up on it after Mulan um, uh, because Soul went straight to Disney Plus and seemed to be a relatively uh, relatively big hit for them. But but it's back. What do you what do you make of the premier access tier on Disney and uh, their their apparent faith in it? So this goes back to what I was saying earlier about spreading the chips out. So Disney needs to figure out, did that not work because people didn't want to watch Mulan? Or did it not work because people did not want to pay for this? And that's what they're going to have to figure out. And the more the more they'll try it. I mean, honestly, Ryan the Last Dragon, like that movie, they really didn't have a place for it. They didn't have a place to really put it. It was going to likely get delayed multiple times this year. But, you know, they're going to have to really see it. They're experimenting. It's throwing spaghetti at the walls. What will be really interesting is I'm still waiting to see what happens with Black Widow. Black Widow is a Marvel movie. It's the first Marvel movie in what seems to be forever. And it's set now for the first weekend of May, which is very, very (laughs) iffy. We'll see. We'll see. But what would be really interesting to me is if Disney goes, you know what? We're going to try this on Premier Access. And that would give them the best read of if Premier Access is something they can actually use. I think at the end of the day, all of these streamers... Anyone who tries to tell me that streamers want theaters to just disappear, I don't think they're really paying attention. I think they want to make money as much as they can. I just think they want to have the ability to, if it's a week later, two weeks later, same day, they want to have a a window that wasn't 90 days. They want to have a window that is very short. So I think they keep going back to it with at least Raya because they want to find out if, you know, they, they need more of a control. They need more data to tell them. And at this point, what's the harm? Like there was nowhere else for that movie to really go. So why not give it a shot? With something like Soul, that's a big time movie that you could really boost subscriber with because it comes with the Pixar brand. So mm-hmm. you don't have to experiment with that. You can just put that on Disney Plus yeah. and people will come. Yeah. Uh, I, and, and Disney, I mean, Disney absolutely does not want theaters to go away because Disney generates, you know, 50% of the annual domestic box office or whatever. I mean, they, they really are, uh, uh, pretty, pretty massive in that space and they don't, they don't want to lose it. I mean, do we do, I don't know, put on your fortune teller hat again. Yeah. Um, are we, are we looking at another round of delays? And I mean, we've already seen a handful of films push back another six months or so, you know, the new James Bond, the new, um, uh, I, I feel like Universal just pushed back a bunch of stuff. Uh, but the are we are we looking at uh, basically nothing until Thanksgiving at the earliest? So I don't know if it's till Thanksgiving. I've had a lot of friends come to me and go, "When do you think we'll be able to go back to the movies?" And I said, "I was when the year started. I said June. I was like June. You know, Memorial. I said Memorial Day weekend's really going to tell the tale." 
And that's and that's uh, Fast Nine. That's the that's mm-hmm. the latest Fast and Furious movie. It really depends on you know how the vaccination rollout going. It's it's not been so great so far, yeah. <laughs> but we have an, a new administration that has said a hundred million vaccines in a hundred days. So we'll see if that actually happens, um, and then we'll see how governors and state governments really work. So are we going to see, you know, like I know you've been a big proponent of this, but there hasn't been any cases tied to movie theaters. So mm-hmm. is is a, a governor of my state, Andrew Cuomo, is he going to keep theaters closed while opening gyms and bowling alleys and casinos, which, you know, may or may not make sense comparatively what you might think, or are we going to see it kind of open up? My prediction, my prediction is that uh, we're going to have a summer movie season in some form you might have to be where you might have to it might be a 50 percent capacity it might be with uh masks on it might be mm-hmm. with all those rules but if you're going to sit in theaters the way that we sat before all of this happened i would say at earliest the fall um mm-hmm. and probably not until the holiday season and then we'll see we'll, we'll see I, I i'm optimistic i'm hoping june july august can be salvaged I really would love to see Fast 9, F9 in theaters, but, uh, you know, with my Fast family. Uh, but uh, we'll have to see. My, my best, my optimistic guess is June. My realistic guess is probably August. And my yeah. pessimistic guess is probably November. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. Well, that, that was everything I wanted to ask. I, I always like to ask my guests uh, if there was anything that I, in my foolishness, failed to or forgot to ask uh what what do people need to know about the business of hollywood uh and and media right now that that we have not talked about um i think the two things that people have to realize and this is the stuff i always run into on my beat is one is more general and one is more specific and the general thing is is that you have to understand that everyone in hollywood doesn't know what's going like they don't like it's the true william goldman quote nobody knows nothing and it is something that has really been hit home they're all trying to figure out what is going to be the next evolution of this business. And I think that we all need to stop thinking about it as a zero-sum game or a winner-take-all where one side has to win streaming or movie theaters or streaming and cable television. I don't think that Hollywood wants one side to be everything. I just don't think that. So I think we need to stop thinking about this as a conflict and more about an evolution in which we're trying in which Hollywood is trying to cater to consumers. The other specific story that I think is going to be a big deal this year is China. I think that uh, we should think more about how the evolution of the Chinese film marketplace is going to change. They became the top movie market last year. That's obviously with a huge caveat. When it comes to uh, the coronavirus, they their theaters bounced back and opened, and so they brought in about three point one billion, while the U.S. brought in a billion dollars less than that. So China is always a huge, huge thing for studios. That's why you've seen a lot of catering to Chinese audiences. Mulan being a great example of that. But the big part is going to be: is are we going to see the U.S. Retake its throne this year and become the number one movie market. Is China going to be the number one movie market? And if China is, and China doesn't need Hollywood studios to make big blockbusters because Wonder Woman didn't do very good there, mm-hmm. uh, Mulan kind of bombed mm-hmm. there, Tenet was yeah. a miss, and then you have something like you know the Eight Hundred, which was a Chinese-produced action war film. 
that made more than $400 million. If we get to a point where China doesn't need Hollywood's movies to bring in an audience, what does that mean for Hollywood? What does that mean for how we watch movies and how people create movies in this country and globally? Yeah. Uh, that is a great point. Thank you for closing on that. Uh, Frank, thanks for very much for joining us. What's your uh, what's your Twitter handle? I want everyone to follow you on Twitter. It's just my name. It's at uh, Frank Pallotta. It's uh, Frank like Frank. And then Pallotta is P-A-L-L-O-T-T-A, all one word. Perfect. Go follow him on Twitter. Uh, and thank you for listening to the show. Uh, we will be back again next week with another episode. See you then. Mm-hmm.